that on September 15th there will be a live at Manning Rust conference. In one Rust full day you will attend many talks about what's special about Rust, building high-performance web services or video games, about WebAssembly and much more. I already want to be there. But there were. No need to travel. The event is going to be online, of course. If you want to meet the tribe, tune in September 15th to the Live at Manning Rust conference. I have added a link to register completely free of charge in the show notes of this episode. I'll see you there. Thank you for listening to Data Science at Home podcast with Francesco Gadaletta. You are about to get cutting edge insights from the people who are reshaping the world of technology with machine learning, data science, and artificial intelligence. It's time for Data Science at Home. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to another episode of Data Science at Home podcast. I'm Francesco, podcasting from the regular office of Leuven in Belgium. This is the third episode of the mini-series Testing in Machine Learning, and uh, I am uh, again with uh, Adam Liam Smith, who's an expert in uh, testing systems. Hi, Adam, how are you doing? And welcome back. Hey, Francesco. Good to see you again. <laughs> so in the last episode, uh, we have been speaking about how to use data science to support testing. And we also touched a bit the uh, synthetic data space. Remember, Adam, it was quite an interesting topic there. In uh, this episode, we are going to um, expand on some advanced testing techniques for machine learning systems. Uh, so Adam, quick intro for you. And then I will start with my annoying questions. <laughs> hey, no worries. So um, I'm CTO of a company called Dragonfly that specializes in quality and testing of complex systems and chair of the British Computer Society's special interest group in software testing. And testing machine learning is one of my favorite topics. <laughs> and it is mine too. Now, uh, when you say about, you know, when you say testing in machine learning, I would like to focus uh, my attention, at least in this episode, on uh, a particular aspect of machine learning, which is deep learning. Due to the fact that, um, you know, this is kind of my personal observation is that neural networks are, uh, you know, considered kind of a new programming language um, in the sense that you can indirectly uh, program neurons for, to perform some sort of functionality. Uh, and so this new programming language requires, as our traditional programming languages, testing tools. Uh, now, those who are familiar with static analysis, dynamic analysis for regular code know exactly what I'm speaking about. Uh, but how about testing a neural network? I think the key word you used there, Francesco, was indirectly programming the neuron. I agree, the, um, because you aren't writing the logic that is, is going into those neurons, neurons hiding data. So when we think about, well, when a data engineer thinks about testing their code or a traditional software engineer, they probably, the first thing they'll do is probably think about coverage. Uh, maybe they'll um, whip out some unit testing tools, some, some test coverage tools, sonar or something. And um, they'll look at things like line coverage, statement coverage, decision coverage, uh, branch coverage, all these different uh, measurements, which are related to the logical flow of uh, that kind of code. Now, we can't do that as easily with machine learning. Sure, we can look at the profile of the data as almost a proxy for the coverage, but it's not a measurement of the, 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 the logical decisions that have been made. So there's, there's actually a few um, 
relatively new measurements that try and bring the same thing to to machine learning. Have you come across them at all, Francesco? Yes, uh, and uh, I would like to ac actually ask you what's neuron coverage and what's threshold coverage. I, I also know about sign change coverage and layer coverage, but I'll let you expand on that, Adam. Yeah, so I guess neuron coverage um, is defined as the proportion of activated neurons during a testing cycle divided by the total number of, of neurons in the neural network. So it's a percentage and you consider it activated if, if the value exceeds zero. Threshold coverage, you pick a threshold between zero and one and, and do that measurement. And there's even some techniques around uh, sign change where you, uh, you, you consider zero as a, a negative value and look at uh, uh, whether you've got a, a positive or a negative value coming out. There's a couple more. Um, you mentioned layer coverage there, Francesco. So that's where you look at the different layers and look at how right. the activation values change in it in like a whole layer. Yeah, but actually I have a question about these. Like when you, uh, you know, because these are um, tools or methodologies that have been definitely inspired by, you know, testing in traditional software engineering, um, um, you know, like the, the coverage word is, is very, I'm very familiar with the coverage part. Um, but uh, we already had uh, very mm, uh, too many issues when, uh, for example, in the realm of dynamic analysis, the number of possible paths that uh, your CPU, in fact, can execute at runtime can literally explode. Uh, so my question is, uh, I mean, my observation is uh, in deep learning, this is kind of normal, this, I mean, explosion of uh, neurons to be tested, right? Yes, and, and we have ways of dealing with that with traditional systems. So you know, it's very rare that anyone would attempt to uh, do, the, do every kind of possible input or, or variation because you quickly get into, into obvious problems. Um, and they might be compute or it might be time or it, it, might be the, uh, it might be time in terms of resources, it might be time in terms of uh, deadlines. So one of the techniques we use in traditional testing is actually uh, combinatorial testing. Mm -hmm. So if I go to a really kind of simple example where I'm buying something online, maybe it's a book, a video, or a software. So I've got a type of, of product that I'm buying online. I've probably got a, um, a type of credit card used and maybe something um, like a quantity. So right. the simplest kind of test you can do is test um, you know, each value, maybe test, uh, test a book, test a video, test a software, test each kind of credit card, test a few different quantities. Um, but that's quite a, a light test, obviously. And when you're dealing with complex systems, that's often not enough, especially those that are, are data-driven. So we get into something called combinatorial testing, which is also called all pairs testing, pairwise testing, n-wise testing. There's a whole bunch of names. Mm -hmm. But essentially what you do is you start to think about the inputs as pairs rather than single items. So maybe I'll make sure that I test an Amex credit card with a book, with a video, and with a piece of software, and with three different quantities. Now, the number of pairs of things, uh, sorry, if you have a, a pair of variables, that's called, um, let's call it tuple. So the first simple test I described was one tuple tests where you're just testing each value once. A two tuple test is where you're testing each possible value across two different inputs together. So that gives you a much larger number of tests and statistics show 
that that detects way more tests than uh, sorry way more defects than one tuple and way more defects than three tuple which is three input variables joined together and looking right. at a combination so it's kind of traditionally through lots and lots of research it's the optimum kind of level of testing for a system that uses traditional logic and it is black box testing so you're not looking here at things like neuron coverage and code coverage you're thinking about what matters to kind of the business problem or the data structures i have two questions on the on on this like uh, the first is the black box nature not only of neural networks but also of the of the testing strategy how much does this impact the quality of the testing how much does um using a two tuple approach impact the quality of the testing yes exactly it significantly so improves it because it, it significantly improves the coverage with the optimum set of tests. It also lends itself to an automated test generation approach, because once you're looking at lots of combinations, you're getting into algorithms, it becomes right. easier to write some code to figure out your tests uh, and the optimum data inputs rather than to, to do it manually, which is, what, which is good practice as well. That would have been my second question. So I, I guess you anticipated me. Uh, there is no one, there is no manual intervention in defining this testing strategy, right? It, it's fully automated, right? That's right, except in the simplest example uh, where someone might do it on paper. Um, it's usually, there's, there's loads of open source scripts floating around um, that will do this. There's commercial tools that, that do it as well. Cool. Very, very interesting. And uh, can you mention who is using this or in which domain, if you don't want to make names, of course? Sure. I mean, um, so many of the big consultancies, you know, this is, this is part of their standard approach when they approach this type of problem. It's very common across, across industry. But what I don't know is the applicability to ML. So I think in terms of being applied in practice with traditional systems, it's very, very mature. In terms of ML, I've definitely read um, uh, reports and research of evaluations showing very, very promising results using this approach. But it is too early, really, to, to say it's a successful okay. approach. And what I would really note is they're using, just like when we talked about coverage just now, they're using the activation functions and looking at combinations of activation functions, which is a white box approach. And as I said in episode two, you know, a lot of the time we have to take a black box approach. People will do more testing of ML in a black box fashion than a white box fashion over you know, a period of, of, of 10 years. Right. Um, so what I don't, what, the other thing I don't know is whether combinatorial testing applied to a black box is an effective way of testing machine learning. So not looking at the activation function, but looking at the data structure in the same way I did with the online store example. Right. I understand. Um, Adam, do you think this is a methodology that can generalize uh, nicely across domains? And uh, uh, if so, how much human intervention would, would be required uh, if, for example, we decided to apply this testing strategy uh, from the financial domain to, let's say, social media or payments or, well, that's still financial, but I mean, you know what I mean, like, or healthcare, for example. It applies across domains in traditional software, certainly, um, because it is about inherently how we write logic um, mm. and how we process data. Uh, whether it translates to ML and generalizes to it and generalizes across different domains and different algorithms, I, I think it should, because ultimately the whole point of ML is that the behavior is driven by the inputs. 
Um, and by observing those inputs and looking at appropriate combinations of those inputs without knowledge of activation functions or the inside of the model, it should provide a test optimization technique to solve the problem you referred to before, which is if you generate all the inputs, your CPU is going to be going all night. And now, Adam, there was another uh, advanced testing strategy that you wanted to speak about, and definitely I have questions for you, um, which is more related to uh, probabilistic uh, approaches. And so can you expand on that? That's right. So research and surveys of machine learning specialists tell us that the two biggest problems they encounter are talking to customers about goals and testing the, uh, the systems, whether it's in the data science uh, validation process or a wider, wider testing phase. And one of the things I talk to people about is specifying their quality requirements in a different way. So um, thinking upfront about things like false positives and false negatives when you're discussing the required level of, of accuracy or correctness for a system um, you know, we all know it's very difficult to get everything to 100%, but making sure those expectations are kind of set up front is important. So starting to introduce some statistical language into those requirements is very important for the testing phase, but it's not just accuracy and correctness, it's things that uh, we may call flexibility. So we're developing for this set of operational requirements, how much does this particular stakeholder need the system to be able to flex to unseen data to unexpected contexts? And the other area is robustness. So, you know, um, data perturbations that uh, bad people use to try and achieve bad things, you know, adversarial examples. Um, that's a conversation you kind of need to have up front in any kind of high risk scenario uh, in terms of will your, will, will your system that you're developing need to maintain its operational performance um, in adversarial context. So to make this self-contained, uh, adversarial examples have been observed and uh, abused already a number of times in, uh, in domains like autonomous vehicles, for example. Uh, even in finance, as Adam was uh, anticipating me before this episode, um, you know, to, it's basically examples that are forged uh, with the only purpose of fooling the model, fooling the, the neural network, uh, and let it predict something else. Um, in the case of uh, autonomous vehicles, for example, the adversarial examples have been used for uh, patching with um, invisible features, invisible to the human eye, of course, um, features on, on street signs, for example. And uh, at that point, the car, uh, which uh, was supposed to maintain a limit, a speed limit of, let's say, 50 miles per second, per, per, uh, 50 kilometers per hour uh, or miles per hour, uh, it literally got fooled and and you know and and just uh, removed that limit from from the neural network. So it, it, I mean I'm 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 am laughing about it, but this is really not funny because you know uh, there are there can be consequences in the real world when these things happen. Now it has been proved that. And it has been shown as well by uh, many other researchers, which uh, I interviewed uh, a long time ago now in a previous episode um, about other certain examples. So they have shown that um, playing at the stochastic gradient descent algorithm and exploiting some mathematical properties of the uh, backpropagation algorithm of, of you know typical of neural of any neural network, uh, they could in fact forge these examples uh, that could uh, fool the network completely. Now, my question to you, Adam, is: uh, Do we have 
um, a coverage of this type of attacks uh, and eventually a testing strategy to prevent or mitigate or eliminate completely uh, the effectiveness of adversarial examples with probabilistic uh, strategies. So that's really interesting because correctness and flexibility I can kind of evaluate as a black box. I don't think I can evaluate robustness without generating every possible input in a black box way. Uh, I think a white box mechanism for testing, uh, generating adversarial examples to test in order to test for robustness is, is really, really interesting. And if you could potentially put together something like threshold coverage, combinatorial testing um, to get some kind of generation of the optimum set of adversarial examples, that would be hugely helpful for industry. I believe so. And uh, I think that these testing strategies indeed will be more and more uh, normal <laughs> in our arsenal uh, of tools for programming machine learning uh, approaches or deep learning methods for sure. Adam, this was extremely interesting. I thank you very much for being on the show. Is there a contact that uh, the followers of Data Science at Home can, uh, uh, can bug you with? <laughs> yeah, I'm on Twitter, Adam Leon Smith. That's A-D-A-M-L-E-O-N-S-M-I-T-H. Feel free to bug me as long as it's about uh, machine learning and testing. <laughs> I'm sure they will. And we will add some of your contacts to the show notes of this episode. As always, thank you very much for being on the show and uh, talk to you next time. Thanks, Francesco. Bye-bye. Did you know that on September 15th, there will be a live at Manning Rust conference? In one Rust full day, you will attend many talks about what's special about Rust, building high-performance web services or video games, about WebAssembly and much more. I already want to be there. But there where? No need to travel? The event is going to be online, of course. If you want to meet the tribe, tune in September 15th to the Live at Manning Rust conference. I have added a link to register completely free of charge in the show notes of this episode. I'll see you there. You've been listening to Data Science at Home Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean to get new, fresh episodes. For more, please follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, or visit our website at datascienceathome.com.